All right. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. That's great. Um, well, my name is Tucker Bennett, and I'm just so excited to be here with you guys. Um, if you don't know me, I'm actually the director of the Navigators Ministry here at the college with the students. Um, and what that means for you is that when I am typically preaching, talking about Bible study, talking about the scriptures at all, I usually do that with students who are 18 to 21 years old. And I don't know if you guys have looked around lately, but the audience here is just, just a tad different than that. And that's great. That's awesome. It's fantastic. But I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. I preach like I'm preaching to 18 to 21-year-olds. I'm not going to try to change that because that's just who I am and how I enjoy doing it. So there might be some things I say this morning. There might be some mannerisms I have that just come off different. And so I apologize in advance, but I do just pray and ask that you would bear with me in it. Um, and I just ask that you would, I hope that you would just hear the Lord speaking to you this morning and you hear what he has for you. Um, and you're not just cut up on some of the weird things I might say or some of the strange stories I'll have. Um, in fact, just this came to mind right now, but I have a couple of students that have a list of quotes from things I've said in the past. They're terrible out of context. They're horrible quotes. But usually, in the context of my messages, they fit wonderfully. So just don't take anything out of context, and we're doing great, you know? Um, but this morning, I'm going to be consider continuing our series for the season of Lent. So Raina introduced it last week. We are just talking about Jesus in the wild. And we're looking at what that means for our life as we go through seasons of wild, as we go through seasons of wilderness, seasons where we might be going through a struggle or a trial or a tribulation and God's trying to teach us something, but also times where God's just calling us into a season before him to be in solitude, to be in silence, to be just with him, listening to his voice and seeking to hear what he has for us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we kick it off. Um, and really to kick it off this morning, we're going to start before we ever even get into Jesus in the wild. Because before we can look at Jesus in the wilderness, we need to first look at what happened to prepare Jesus to go into the wilderness. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as a whole. Um, and really, I think in this time, what God does is he defines for Jesus his calling and his vocation for the rest of his ministry. So his time before the wilderness defines not only the wilderness for him, but everything that's going to happen afterwards. And what we find that vocation and that calling to be is actually something that I would say is unexpected to us as believers. For me as a believer, when I hear my calling and my vocation, I immediately go to what do I need to do to follow Jesus well? And yet that's not what God has for us as our calling and our vocation. Instead, what he has is something a little bit more unexpected. And it reminds me of kind of how when we're kids, we have this expectation of what we're going to be when we grow up versus what actually happens as we grow up, right? I think, I don't know if it would be the same for you guys, but for me, my expectation of what I'd be as a kid was a little bit concerning compared to what's actually happened and what my actual job and role and calling is now. It would have been unexpected to me as a child, but I think it's way sweeter now. As a kid, I thought I'd be a jet pilot. Or I thought that maybe, just maybe, I'd be a skydiving instructor. Right? Or the third, the third one that came to mind, I don't know if you guys remember what Yu-Gi-Oh cards are, but I thought Yu-Gi-Oh cards were awesome. I was like, I'm going to play this for a living. I'm going to be so good at it, I'm going to do this for a living. 
Those were the three things I had in mind as a kid that I would do. That was my expectations. Fast forward, I'm clearly not doing any of those. I've still never flown a jet plane or had any pilot training whatsoever. I've never skydived. And I haven't touched a Yu-Gi-Oh card since fifth grade. So those things, those expectations I had are out the window. But the unexpected thing is that God would call me into college ministry. And yet I am much more content in that than I would have been doing any of those other things. And I know that this is the place God desires me to be. So this unexpected role, this unexpected job when I was six or seven years old is actually much better than what I could have ever expected. And in the same way, God's calling on our life, although unexpected to us, is much better than any of our expectations in it. I think God's calling on our life is not that we would do more for him, but it is that we would be with him. Because as we are before him, as we spend time being with the Father, that then defines all that we do. Instead of it being the other way around, that as we do things for the Father, it defines our being for us. So this morning we're going to talk about that exact thing, that unexpected way. And we're going to do it through the lens of looking at our identity and our belovedness with God. And then also our mission and our purpose for God. So let me pray and we can begin. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance just to be here. Lord, would you just open our eyes and our heart as we dive into your scriptures? God, would we know your heart of just love and tenderness for us more? We also just be drawn to what you have for us, Lord. Would we realize that your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light? And Lord, that following you is not something you desire to be challenging or hard. You just desire that we would come before you, that we would know you, and that we would live in an abundant life of love out of that. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. Okay, so as we get into Jesus' ministry, we, like I said before, we have to look back before we can look forward. And so as we go into the wilderness section, it starts in Luke 4, 1, and it says this. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led into the Spirit, or led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so we see a couple things here. What we see is that before Jesus goes into the wilderness, before he feels the Holy Spirit calling him into the wilderness, he's actually already full of the Holy Spirit right? And we know because of how the verse is laid out for us that Jesus is actually full of the Holy Spirit before he leaves the Jordan. Because it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, defining that he is full of the Holy Spirit, then leaves the Jordan. So what that means is that something happened at the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus at the Jordan River. So let's take another step back. Let's step back to what happened at the Jordan River. And Luke 3, 21 and 22, just a few verses earlier, we're going to see exactly what happened. We see that uh, Jesus is being baptized at the, Holy, at the, river, at the river Jordan, um, and that we see the Holy Spirit come upon him, and God speaks some words over his life, right? The verse is this, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I loved. With you I am well pleased. And so... This verse is probably something you guys have heard before. I think it's something we talk about often in the church. It's a very common verse in the church to hear that Jesus was baptized, to know the words that were spoken over him. But we don't often think about the implications of those words on Jesus' life in ministry or on our life in ministry. We just think, that was a cool moment Jesus had with God before he started doing things, and then we move on. 
It reminds me of my daughter Sadie. Okay, my daughter Sadie, she's two years old. And there are two things in life that she is of the utmost passionate about. And those are reading books and singing and dancing to songs. Okay? It's the sweetest, most annoying thing. And yet it's so wonderful. But the thing is, as she reads those books over and over and over again, or as she hears the same songs over and over and over again, she starts to memorize the words, right? She starts to know what's coming and expect it. But just because she has it memorized doesn't always mean she actually understands what's happening in it, right? The, one of her favorite songs right now, it's called the Dinosaur Stop. It's a really similar, simple song. It's sweet. I put it up on the screen so you guys can read it. I'll read it for you. I'm not going to sing it. You don't want to hear that. But um, it's very straightforward. It goes, dinosaurs have great big feet that stomp, stomp, stomp. Dinosaurs have great big teeth that chomp, chomp, chomp. Stomp, stomp, stomp. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Stomp, stomp, stomp. And a chomp, chomp, chomp. Stomposaurus, stomp, stomp, chomposaurus, chomp, chomp. I'm a saurus, stomp, stomp, you're a saurus, chomp, chomp. Beautiful, right? It's just so sweet, so catchy, so fun. That's why she loves it. She loves doing stomps, she loves doing chomps, she thinks it's great. But when she listens to it, when she sings it, all she's thinking about is this is the funnest thing I've ever done. I love stomping, I love chomping, this song is catchy. Versus us as adults, when we hear this song, we're like, well, that song's talking about a dinosaur. That song is literally defining what a dinosaur does and who a dinosaur is. Dinosaurs are big, they have huge feet, so of course they stomp around when they move. Dinosaurs have big teeth, when they put them together, it chomps. It's clear, it's clear as day to us that that's what it's saying. In the same way as we look at these words that God spoke over Jesus at the Jordan, it's easy for us to say like, oh yeah, those are cool words, we like them. To have them memorized and know them, but not have any understanding of their implications or their meaning for us. So let's dive into what actually is happening there. Right? The three things that God says. He says, you are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. So these words are saying and defining for Jesus everything he is going to need for the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry, right? And that first one, you are my son. God is speaking over him and reminding him, you are my child. You belong to me. You have worth because you belong to me. And I want you to know that I know that of you, and I want to preach that over you. That second part, whom I love. God is claiming him. He's saying, I love you so much, so deeply. You belong to me. I'm claiming you as my son, as my child, as one who I love deeply. For those of you that have children, you know what that love is like, right? You know how much you love your kid. It's more than they will ever fathom that you love them. And God's love for Jesus is the same. And then that last part, with you, I am well pleased. I think this, for me, is the most significant words that he says. Because this is before Jesus has done anything. Jesus hasn't started his ministry. He hasn't accomplished anything to spread the good news of his coming or of who he is, right? He's not done anything to make the Father well-pleased, and yet that's how God defines him already. He says, I am already well-pleased with you. 
And so from these three things, Jesus is able to enter the wilderness to prepare even more, but then step out of the wilderness and immediately into ministry, doing so out of an overflow of love and an overflow of anchoring himself in these three things. He knows how much his father loves him. He knows how much his father knows him. And he knows that his father is already well-pleased with him. So everything he does from this point on is not to earn God's love. It's not to earn his role as God's son. And it's not to please his father. It's simply an overflow of already knowing those three things. In the same way for us, we can be assured of these exact three same things as well. We are granted the same title as a child of God. We are assured of our love by our Heavenly Father. And we are promised that God is already pleased with us. He's already proud of us before we do anything. There's nothing that we can add in our own doing, in our own work, in our own efforts to make the Lord love us more or to make him more proud of us. He already is. It's just a simple truth and fact. In that aspect of being a child, one of my favorite chunks is Romans 8, 16 and 17. And it defines our child this way. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The beautiful thing of this passage is it says we are granted the same identity of childhood as Jesus was. If you take a step back and think about that for a second, what? We do not deserve that in any way. Jesus is the full son of God. And yet God grants us the same airness as a children. We are welcomed into his fold as his children in the same exact way that Jesus was his son. We are given the same glory. We are given the same inheritance if we are pursuing and giving our lives to him. That is a beautiful, beautiful title that we can be given as a child of God. And one that we can be sure we have simply by living in obedience to him. In regards to God's love for us, I think it's something we hear often. And so I'm not going to point to one point of scripture. I'm actually just going to put up a list of verses. Oh, that came out kind of weird. That's all right. Um, these are just all verses on how God loves us. And this is just a small glimpse of God's love for us. God's love is written all throughout the scriptures. So some of these might be familiar verses to you. Some of them might not. But I encourage you to write them down and take a picture of them. Come back to it later and just really dwell and meditate on the fact that God loves you deeply. God says over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, that he loves us and that he has an infinite amount of love for us. So that love that he's claiming over Jesus is the same love he has for each and every one of us today. And then that third one, that fact that God is already proud of us, I think there's two main verses that come to my mind when I think about it. There's a lot throughout scripture about it, but there's two that really stick out. One of them is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God has saved us, he's drawn us to himself, not because we've done anything for him, but because he is already pleased with us. 
And then the second one is Psalm 147, verse 11. It says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who, who, takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. God's pleasure with us is that we fear and love him. It's not in what we do for him. It's not in our obedience. It's that we fear him and we love him. And that's simply it. So as Jesus goes into the wild full of the Spirit, he's reminded of these three truths. That he is a child of God, he is loved by God, and he has already pleased his Father. And he's clinging to that fullness of the Spirit to carry him through his time in the wilderness. Right? He's going to spend 40 days there. He's going to be fasting the entire time. And we know that as we look later on that he does. He spends 40 days in the wilderness just before the Lord fasting. And I think as he goes into the wilderness with that emptiness, with his hunger... What he's seeking to do is to be filled with something else. I think that's why he fasts for those 40 days. And what that is, is he's, he's seeking to be filled with the love of God even more. Right? He knows God loves him, but he wants to be filled with him more. Because he wants that to be what defines everything that he does from this point out. He wants God's love for him and God's love for the world to overflow out of him constantly and abundantly. And we see through his ministry that because he takes this time to do it, because he is so anchored in these three truths about his identity, but also in his belovedness before the Father, that as he goes through ministry, he is never swayed by anything. Right? He's never swayed by what the Pharisees say. He's never swayed by what the priests say. He's never swayed even by what his family says or what the disciples say or what his friends say of him. No matter what someone says of, I think you're actually making the wrong choice here. He goes, no, I'm not. Because he is confident in what God has done and told him. He's confident in who the Father has defined him to be and what his role in the midst of it is. We can be just as assured of our role and our purpose if we anchor ourselves in those same three things. If we dwell on God's love for us. If we remember that we are a child of God. And if we are assured that God is already proud of us before we've accomplished anything, then we can be anchored to do whatever the purpose and mission we encounter each and every day is around us. And so the question then is, what is that mission? What is our mission? Our mission as believers is to be Jesus in the world, to be Jesus to other people, to reflect him into this world, and to love him deeply in the midst of that. But to do that, God isn't asking us to go fulfill a bunch of tasks. He's actually asking us to just sit before him and sit in his love and his belovedness for us. He doesn't care about us fulfilling a certain task list or achieving a certain goal. He doesn't care how many people we bring to faith what he cares about is that we know him intimately, that we love him deeply, and that we sit at the feet of our Heavenly Father. To me, that's just simple. That's so simple and easy, right? It feels a lot harder for me to think about how I'm going to win 10 people to the Lord than it is just say, oh, God, I just have to sit before you and know you. That's all you're asking me to do. And that sounds a lot more like our God than achieving a bunch of things for him to make him happy for us. That doesn't sound like the God we see throughout Scripture. Our God is easy to pursue. He defines himself as gentle and lowly in heart. And he says that following him, that it is an easy yoke and his burden is light. 
It's not a hard thing to follow after Jesus. It's an easy thing to follow after Jesus. Um, there's a book by Dan Ortland or Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. Um, I read it just a couple months ago, but I loved the way that it defined God's love for us. This is just one quote from a wonderful book. It says, your gentlest treatment of yourself is less gentle than the way your heavenly father handles you. His tenderness towards you outstrips what you are even capable of towards yourself. That's our God. He loves us more deeply than we can even love ourselves. How does that love not overwhelm us as we sit before it? If we sit and rest in that love, how will we not love those around us as deeply as God loves us? How can it not help but overflow to the world around us? As we live in our belovedness, as we live knowing that love, we're fulfilling our calling to God. Because our calling is to be loved and to know his love. That's it. It's never going to be more complicated than that. Following Jesus is never more complicated than knowing and experiencing the love of God. And as we rest in that calling and in that love, as Jesus did, we're able to go each and every day, each and every moment, and say, God, what would you have me do in this moment? Does this person need me to love them in a way they've never been loved before so they can experience a glimpse of you? Does this person need me just to listen to them because they have no one to do it? Can I serve this person and care for them and show them your love? God, what would you have in each interaction I have, in each moment of every day? God's not calling us to do. He's calling us to be. Because our being before the Father defines our doing for the Father. Right now in Navs, we're studying the book of Acts. And what I love about Acts is its simplicity and talking about the mission of pursuing God, right? The disciples, at the very beginning, Jesus goes back into heaven. He gives them one last command. In Acts 1.8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's all he gives them. That's their mission. And then the rest of the book of Acts is us just seeing over and over and over again them doing that. Them being witnesses to the ends of the earth for Jesus. And how he extends his kingdom through their faithfulness. But I think my favorite thing about this mission, well, I guess two favorite things. One, it's simple. But two, it happens better when we rest and anchor ourselves in the love of God. When we know God's love for us deeply, how much better can we be a witness of it to those around us? How much better can we, we say, well, I know God. I know the love he has for me. I know the love he has for you. So let me tell you about it. The disciples' mission was not to lay out the gospel and the deep theology of it to every person they encounter. It was not to convince someone of its truth. It was just to be a witness for Jesus, to tell others of what they had experienced with him. And that is our same mission as well. Our mission is to be a witness wherever we go. As you're at the grocery store, share Jesus. As you are shoveling your driveway the next snowstorm this week, 
shovel your neighbors, and talk to them about Jesus if you have the chance. It's not burdensome. It's not heavy. Our mission is to be a witness as we rest in God's love for us. It's not one more thing to do on a checklist. It is an overflow of God's belovedness for us. This reminds me of a story. So I've been in college ministry for about six years now. Um, and when I first graduated college and I came on staff, I, I had lots of big dreams of how God was going to use me. I had lots of hopes and desires. And I can confidently say I've been humbled continuously over all of those, which is great. Um, but I remember my first year we were doing fall launch, which we take the first couple weeks of the fall and we just try to meet as many students as possible. Our hope being that with some who grew up in a Christian home, but really they don't know if it's theirs or, or not, we can kind of draw them closer to Jesus and remind them, this is something you should give your life to. But for those who have never heard the good news of Jesus, we want to share it with them. We want to form relationships with them and draw them to Jesus, right? And I remember one of the guys that we had met, his name was Logan. He's a really tall, really skinny guy from Texas. He loves sports. We'd see him all over the place. And so one day, we're out in the dorms, we're playing ultimate frisbee, and we're just trying to recruit anybody walking by. And I see Logan walking by, but I don't remember Logan's name to save my life, right? So him and his friend are walking by, and I yell at him, I'm like, hey, Keith, come play frisbee with us. And he just looks at me, and he goes, Keith's not my name. I'm Logan. And then he keeps walking. And I go, well, I screwed that up. I'm never going to see this kid again. Turns out he starts coming to NAFs. He starts coming often. Him and I become really good friends, and I start meeting with him weekly. And for the next two years, I meet with him every single week. We dig into the scriptures, and I have one goal. That he would read the Bible on his own regularly and draw himself to the Father. So that's what we talk about week in, week out for two years. Here's how you study the Bible on your own. Here's how you do it. Why aren't you doing it? Here's when you could do it. How can I help you? We talk about it over and over and over again. And by the time this two years is up, I am so frustrated. Because it's been my goal for two years that he would just read the Bible on his own. That it would become a habit in his life. And he still wants nothing to do with it. He loves God. He knows him, but he won't read the Bible on his own. He won't put that daily discipline and practice into his life. And so as those two years come to a close, my wife Abby and I were moved up here to Laramie. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen to Logan. I have no idea. But it's, it's about two weeks into the semester, and I'm, it's a Saturday, and Logan calls me. Logan never calls me. So I'm like, why is he calling me? And so I answer, and he goes, hey, I'm reading the Bible with my roommate. And he asked this question, what do you think? And I'm like, you're doing what? You're reading the Bible with your roommate? You don't even read the Bible yourself. Where is this coming from? But he tells me he just, he realized that he wanted to share the gospel with his roommate. His roommate didn't know. His roommate was interested, and so he just seized that opportunity and he took it. And then what happens, that's about the last I hear from Logan again. We see each other occasionally, we talk a little bit, but it's not much. And then about a year and a half later, Abby and I are doing some fundraising. And so Logan has graduated, so we reach out to him for an appointment. We ask, hey, would you be willing to support our ministry? And then through that, we ask for references, and he refers us to his parents. And so we get a fundraising meeting with his parents. So we're going to know his parents. Small world, it's awesome meeting his parents because all I've known is ever him. And they all of a sudden just start thanking me for how I changed his life. They're like, our son is a whole different person. 
And we can tell that he knows God, and he's giving his life to pursue him. And I'm sitting there going, is this the same Logan that I met with for two years? They're telling me about times and things that he'll do when he's at home, where he, they were watching a movie, and an inappropriate scene come on, and he grabbed the remote and fast-forwarded it for his family, because he didn't want to watch it. I'm like, I don't think we talked about that once. But clearly, God grabbed his heart, and God did the work. And the reason I share this story is not because I'm proud of how God used me. It's because I am humbled by it and reminded that my being with God allowed God to move in this kid's life. It was not my doing. It was not the things that I tried to teach him. Because clearly, after two years, we got nowhere. And yet, God captured his heart. And God is using him to further his kingdom exactly where he is. Because God is the one that will always do the work. We just need to simply sit before him, experience his love, and know it more deeply. And then be faithful as opportunities arise into what he's calling us to. I think as Americans, as human beings, we are so task-driven and achievement-based. It's so easy to make a checklist of what to do. It's so easy to try to figure out what it means to pursue God well. And yet all God asks about for us, all he cares about, is that we would know him intimately. We would understand our identity as his children. We would understand the love he has for us. And we would know that he is pleased in us before we can do anything. This week, I would just encourage you to look back on those words that God says over his son. Right? You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And think about, are you believing those truths? Are you living with them? Or is God trying to remind you of something in the midst of them? Maybe you're trying to, and all you do, earn the title of being a child of God. And God just wants you to know, you already are. I've already welcomed you into my family. I've already given you the blessings that I've given to all of my children. You have them freely. Enjoy and live in it. Maybe you don't feel very loved this week. You're just struggling to feel loved. I'd encourage you to look at that list of scriptures I put up earlier and dig into them. See what God says of how much he loves us. As we see and read and understand that, the more we saturate ourselves in it, the more we'll actually believe the truth of it. So I'd encourage you to do that. Or maybe it's that third one. Maybe you don't think that God is pleased with you and that you need to do more. You need to earn his favor. You need to earn his love, his care for you. And so you're trying to do all the right things. You're thinking about, how can I do this? Uh, Somebody asked me at church to do this, so I have to say yes. You're just thinking about all the things. I would remind you and encourage you to rest in the fact that God already is pleased with you. He already loves you. So don't do one more thing just to do it or to earn his love, but do it because you genuinely feel like God is asking you to step into it and that you're going to experience his love for you even more. Remember, our being before God defines our doing for God. It's never going to be more complicated than be before the Father 
know his love intimately, and let that propel you into the world around you. May that love move in you, may it move through you, and may God's kingdom expand. Let me pray for us. Lord, we just thank you for this time this morning, and just thank you for the lessons we can learn from your son. Lord, you gave us his time on this earth, not only to draw us to yourself, to bring us salvation, but also to teach us what it means to follow after you and to pursue you. So God, I pray that we would know more intimately than ever that our identity is in you. Lord, you love us deeply. You have made us your children. And God, you are already pleased with us. Lord, we rest in that, Lord. And then when we daily seek out the opportunities we see around us, would you open our eyes to know when and where to be a witness for you and the witness of your love to others, God. And would you do a mighty things to bring this world and your kingdom further, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.